Integrated Partners does not provide legal slash tax advice or services. The material presented is for informational purposes only and is not intended to provide and should not be relied on for tax, legal, or accounting advice. Please consult your legal slash tax advisor regarding your specific situation. Well, hello there, ladies and gentlemen. Good to see you again. And welcome back to Advance Your Wealth with Homer Smith. I'm Ryan Ruff, your moderator. And as always, I'll be joined by Homer in just a moment. But we want to set the scene on a great wealth management-related discussion here for today's episode. Today, we're going to be diving into five different ways to ease the tax bite when selling your business. And to kind of set the scene for you all today, look, selling a business, it's a tall task, right? And you've worked so hard to build that business up, to allow it to to really generate the level of profits and success that you've seen. But when you sell a business, there are enormous numbers of considerations at play, not the least of which is making sure that you ease that tax burden when the sale comes about. Now, fortunately, this is something that Homer and his team have been working through diligently and a lot of these sales of businesses of late, and we'll get into that in a moment. But today we're going to be looking at these five different ways that you can mitigate that tax bite when it comes to selling your business so that you and yours come out better for it on the backside of that sale. So with that being said, let's go ahead and welcome Homer aboard. Homer, good to see you today. How you doing? Hey, Ryan. Great to be here. Super excited for this topic. As you mentioned, we've been you know, spending the last couple of years doing a lot of this work for our clients and have, uh, you know, gone down the rabbit hole on on these plus many others that we won't even get to today on on ways to to help our, our families and business owners think through all this. So I'm excited to excited to discuss this. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, let's uh, let's start have high level like we typically do on the show. Uh, look, tax related issues and and questions are, I would imagine, kind of the top of the mind for a lot of entrepreneurs out there. So why don't you set the scene for us? Talk to me about your conversations with business owners when they're approaching this idea of the sale and how it relates to the kind of the tax burden that's going to come into play. Yeah, I appreciate it, Ryan. I think I'd also like to start too, just with a, a high level thought around what we do at Convergent um, in our family office group around just, you know, what really what we're known for. You know, what we're known for more than anything else is, is helping our successful families and business owners you know, navigate life's most complex transitions. And obviously a sale of a business fits into that. It also could include just, you know, before you sell a business, moving from owner operator owner and taking a step back from the day to day operations of that business. It, it could be instead of an outside sale, which we're going to focus mostly on today, you know, it could be a transition to the family, the next generation within the family, or it could be a transition to the management team internally. And then finally, what we're gonna focus most on is what would an external sale look like? And, and what are some of the techniques we can do from a, a tax planning standpoint around that? And then I think another huge one that you know often gets overlooked in this process is, you know, what do you do with all that wealth once it's in your pocket? You know, you've, you've been managing this business you know, many times most of our clients are founder-led uh, businesses. This, this has been their baby. They built this thing up 20, 30 years. It's been their identity, and now they're moving away uh, from that. How are they going to, you know, live and, and have a purpose for life after the business? And then ultimately, how do they transition this wealth to their family and their heirs in a way that's going to be positive and impactful and not destructive? So there's so many things that go into this discussion, and we're obviously going to focus on one that I think is most top of mind, which is taxes. Uh, mm -hmm. But just I, I, this is such a critical conversation, and, and obviously the taxes are typically at the heart of it. But but yeah, so many so many ways this can go. So excited excited to really dive in. 
Yeah. All right. Well, let's let's get started. And I think the, the good place to start is kind of a, in a in a chronological order, if you will, as you go through the sale of business. So talk to me, Homer, about some of the pre-sale strategies that exist out there. What's the first one that comes to mind? Yeah. So as I as I think about pre-sale strategies, I, I also want to um, bring up why this planning is so important to do as early on as possible. Um, before we dive into the first uh, strategy. Um, in some of the research that we have done, um, what we what we know is that for business owners that are actually ready to sell, say, hey, I'm 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 ready. I'm I'm raising my hand. I want to sell my business. Only about twenty to twenty five percent twenty five percent of them are able to actually complete the sale of their business. And then of those twenty five percent that complete the sale, in surveys that we've done, only about twelve percent of them say they were highly satisfied with the outcome. So if you put those two together, what that means is only about three percent of business owners who start the process to sell their business end up highly satisfied with the outcome. And one of the key reasons we believe that they don't end up highly satisfied is they didn't do the work far enough in advance of going to market to really understand all of the different outcomes that were going to happen related to taxes. Um, how are they going to able to replace their lifestyle outside of the business, you know, maximizing the value of the business prior to sell other things. Again, we're not going to focus on quite as much today, but, but the tax planning component is a huge part of it. Um, and so I think it's really important to start this process early. I think too often, either your wealth management team or your tax team is brought in once an LOI is already in hand and signed. And by that point, it really is too late to do much of this planning. So, so, you know, I really want to emphasize the real importance of, of starting this process as early on, as soon as you're thinking about selling, um, about the idea of it is to start this conversation with your team. So mm -hmm. sorry, sorry to, to, to jump into that first round, but I think that was a really important no, part to bring I up. agree. I agree. Uh, so one that you, I know you and I have, have touched on Homer in the past and one that's worth diving into is, is kind of the section 1202. Why don't we bat lead off with that in terms of a pre-sale strategy and, and we'll roll through those five that we mentioned. Yeah, great. So, um, so what you're referring to uh, section 1202 or, or what maybe you've heard of something that's called qualified small business stock. So, um, Again, which is why setting up your company in advance and having these conversations in advance is really important because there's a tax code, this 1202 tax code, um, that for if you set your corporation, your company up as a C corporation and you're in certain types of industries. So there's certain businesses that don't qualify for this. But if you're in the, the right type of a business and you set your business up as a C corporation and um, with a few other rules, but the main other rule is that your, your corporation is in existence for at least five years. When you go to sell your company, the first $10 million of gain um, can be completely uh, federal capital gains tax-free. Uh, that's a huge advantage. And then through other planning techniques, you're able to, um, I guess, uh, add to that benefit by gifting shares in the business to your spouse, to your kids, and in other ways that you could turn that $10 million exemption um, into 30 million, 40 million, 50 million dollars of, of a tax-free sale, at least in the corporate uh, or the federal capital gains level. Um, but again, there's there you have to do this planning in advance. But if you can, if your business would qualify, it's extremely powerful um, planning and a huge tax savings on the sale. Sure thing. Well, Homer, uh, another big one. I know we've talked trusts in past episodes, but another big one I know you and your team work with are charitable remainder trusts. Bring that back into the fold for those that maybe just didn't have a chance to check out our episode on trust. But uh, how does that factor into the, the sale of a business or at least the pre-sale? 
Yeah. So trust planning and, and charitable planning is a huge part of what we do with our business owners. And I think that the first point I want to emphasize is this strategy only makes sense if you are charitably inclined. Um, and, you know, we try to make sure with our clients that we don't let the tax tail wag the dog. And while this does have significant tax benefits, um, you are doing a significant gift to a charitable trust that limits your access to those funds. And so, you know, making sure you have charitable intent is really important. So with that, the benefit of the strategy and again, uh, how your business is structured matters a lot with the ability to utilize this strategy. But if your business is structured in the right way, um, you would be able to transfer shares of your business into a charitable trust prior to the sale and first off you would get a uh, some level of a tax deduction for transferring the value of your shares in it's not significant uh, because of the way these trusts are structured but you would get a small tax deduction for putting them in the bigger benefit though is that at the sale uh, when the business does transact um, those shares that are held inside of that charitable remainder trust would not be subject to federal or state capital gains tax or income tax of any kind on those shares when the business is sold. Um, however, um, you would be subject to tax as you take an income stream from that trust. So one feature of a charitable remainder trust is that it, there's an income component back to the family. And so, for example, if, if your business owner, if you were a, 60 years old when you complete the sale of your business and you ended up having 10 million go into your charitable remainder trust, you might elect to have 7% of that trust um, come back to you as income every year. So in that example of a $10 million trust, you'd have $700,000 of income coming back to you uh, each year from the trust. And the way that you would be taxed on that is based on the taxes that were deferred inside the trust the sale. So all, most of the time it's going to be capital gains. So you'll be receiving you know, your income back on an annual basis and being subject to capital gains tax. But the huge benefit of that is that 10 million that went in um, was not subject to income tax on the sales. So using California as an example, where we have a lot of our clients, if you account for federal capital gains and state income tax, that 10 million would have been reduced to 7 million or less at the time of the sale. And so that would be $3 million or more less dollars working for you creating income. Where inside of the charitable remainder trust, you have all 10 million. And so that income stream is gonna be a lot higher. Um, but in that case, it really is a deferral, but it's a significant benefit to defer those taxes over over the long run um, with that. And, you know, another big benefit of it is if you manage the money well inside of the trust, um, there would be a significant amount remaining that would go to your your uh, organizations that you care about, the charities you care about um, at a certain period of time, whether it might be 10 years, 20 years or at your death. So a lot of a lot of ways to, to work mm -hmm. with those strategies um, to create some benefits. But the tax deferral on the sale is, is pretty significant. Yeah, absolutely. And and you kind of already started a beautiful segue into where I was going to take this. And that is, are there any additional, not, not only just trusts that could be leveraged, but gifting strategies that could be helpful to, you know, you would think, uh, you know, gifting strategy should be something that's allocated after the sale, after I have that, you know, liquidity event, but actually it's something that should probably be navigated ahead of time. What does that look like, Hummer? Yeah, 100%. And we can even tie it back to the charitable remainder trust as well, because there's there's two types of taxes to consider on a sale of a business. There's the income or capital gains tax, which you know most people focus on because that's the most immediate impact from a tax perspective. The other side is estate taxes. And you know, as the value of your business grows, um, the larger of an impact it will have on, on estate taxes for you and or you know, potentially for your family in the future. 
So one benefit of the charitable remainder trust, in addition to the you know deferral of the income taxes on the sale, that 10 million would also be out of your estate and not subject to estate taxes. So huge savings there. Um, but there's other giving strategies that you would could do pre-sale that could uh, at the very least eliminate um, the, the estate tax associated with it. So for your family, uh, for instance, we have a lot of clients that the intent is to, to pass their wealth on to their kids. And they're also still in a position where their, their business is growing and it's not reached its, its maximum value yet where they're ready to sell it, but they, they plan to get it there. And there's advantages to, to gifting, um, value in the business, you know, out of your estate into, you know, typically into some sort of irrevocable trust for your kids and future heirs, um, where you can get it out of your estate at a lower value today. And so all of that excess growth would occur outside of your estate. Um, and in addition to that, because, you know, businesses are, are private, you know, privately held, they're not easily, easily marketable. You can often get some pretty significant discounts when you're doing that kind of a strategy where you can get more than your current uh, lifetime exemption, um, which is right about 13 million today, you can get more than that $13 million out of your estate uh, due to the nature of the structure of that business. So it can be pretty valuable planning. Um, and, and depending on, again, the structure of the business, uh, there also could be some income tax benefits uh, to that structuring um, as well. It's just, to, again, it depends on a, on a case-by-case basis. But but at the very least, you know, dramatically lowering future estate taxes by having the, the future growth of that business occur outside of the estate. Mm -hmm. All right. So we've got, we've got three pretty big pre-sale strategies in that section 1202 small business stock you mentioned charitable remainder trusts. And then of course, some of those gifting strategies, Homer, let's shift gears. Now let's talk post-sale. What's, what's one of the first big strategies and conversations you're having with business owners that they could be leveraging to, to, you know, kind of curb that tax bite when it comes to after the sale, after that big liquidity event. Yeah, the, the, the biggest strategy we've been having you know conversations with every client um, after the sale of their business has been around uh, qualified opportunity zones and and these came into existence you know, about six seven years ago um, with the last major tax code changes where each state got to identify um, areas in their state that they wanted to have investment dollars come in to help revitalize and so as part of this federal program um, if you were to take assets that have capital gains or gains associated with them in a sale, you could invest those dollars into an opportunity zone and defer the taxes from that on those assets that you move in or those those proceeds that you move in, um, at least until your 2026 taxes, which means typically wouldn't be paid until April of 2027. And so with today we're, we're near the end of 2023, depending on when you're watching this, you know, that's about a three and a half year deferral of all the taxes uh, that would be due for the assets that go into that, um, that structure. So, you know, if we think about it from a, an easy math standpoint for every million dollars that you would put in there, uh, at the very least, you're likely saving a couple hundred thousand in, in taxes up front or deferring a couple hundred thousand dollars in taxes up front. Typically, these are they're not recognized at the state level. So really, it's just a federal tax deferral. But if you're a business that happens to have um, uh, higher taxed assets, so, you know, equipment or buildings that are going to be taxed at a, at a much higher rate, as high as ordinary income, it can be a pretty significant deferral on the sale to utilize an opportunity zone. Um, the other major benefit, so beyond the deferral at the sale, which is a nice mm -hmm. benefit, but by itself, you know, probably wouldn't be enough. Um, the other major benefit of this is that if you hold those assets inside of the opportunity zone for at least 10 years, 
um, any of the growth that occurs um, in those assets over that 10 years would it would be tax free when you ultimately sell those assets out of the opportunity zone. So, oh, wow. you know, again, that another you know simple math. If you put a million dollars in and over 10 years it grows to two million dollars, the million dollars of growth that occurred would be tax free. Um, and there's one additional final benefit that you get, yeah. um, depending on how you structure it and what you're investing in. But typically, people use real estate as the investment inside of the structure. And with real estate, one advantage of real estate in general is that you can take depreciation. And when you take depreciation, it helps make your income off real estate more tax efficient. And within the opportunity zones, um, you get that same benefit. You get to take the depreciation on the, the invested capital that you put in. The downside to that structure is that ultimately when you sell that real estate, you have to recapture that depreciation um, unless it's inside of an opportunity zone. So not only do you get the tax-free growth of that asset, uh, but when you sell it, you don't have to capture that, recapture the depreciation um, on the initial capital you invested in. So, you know, three different levels of tax benefits um, mm -hmm. inside of the use of an opportunity zone. The one downside is you've got to leave it in there for at least 10 years. Mm -hmm. And so if we just happen to be in a, in a real estate cycle where there's not any significant growth in real estate and that capital could have been invested somewhere else, um, you only really ended up with a deferral on the front end of the taxes for a few years. And then maybe limited your upside because you couldn't go invest in other things. So while I do think there's some pretty significant tax savings, it really does have to align with the goals um, of, mm -hmm. of the seller and make sure that um, they're comfortable with that you know, length of a hold and, and inability to access those dollars for pretty much any reason uh, for that 10 years. Yeah, really interesting with the, you know, the different variations that they can lean on with the opportunity zones. Obviously, everybody's strategy and situation is going to be unique to them. So, you know, this is one of those moments where we always recommend somebody have a conversation with their their trusted advisor to, to talk through what solutions make the most sense. But Homer, uh, and kind of switching to our, our fifth and final big, you know, area and avenue of, of conversation on these these strategies that can kind of mitigate that tax bite when they sell a business. Uh, look, we've had conversations on this show surrounding life insurance, how it's it's not the hottest topic that everybody wants to talk about, but there's real value that lives inside of life insurance solutions. So what do you see on the life insurance side of things to kind of round out today's discussion? So, Ryan, if I were to ask you, like, if you had a pile of money, whether it came from a sale of a business or you know, inheritance or whatever it might be, and I could say, look, if, if you could invest a portion of those assets in a, in a structure, um, like right down the middle of the tax code, but that structure would allow you to never have to pay tax again on the growth of the investments or any of the income off of your investments. But you could have the same flexibility on how you invested those dollars if you're working with an advisor. Um, and not only would it be income tax free, but your heirs would not pay any tax on the on the life insurance associated with it or the the assets that would come out of that structure at your death. Is that something that you'd be interested <laughs> well in? There's a lot of benefits you just rattled off there, Homer. So I'd have to say yes. <laughs> uh, and so, so this structure you mentioned, life insurance is a, it's a, it's a strategy called private placement life insurance, and this is effectively a strategy that you know single family offices, so billionaire families, you know, 30, 40 years ago, you know, looked at the tax code and said, hey, we really like how life insurance provides um, a lot of tax benefits for the assets that are inside of life insurance. What we don't like is being subject to this the very limited amount of investments that the insurance company provides and the level of fees and commissions that are associated with life insurance so could we take advantage of this tax code but structure in a way that's more beneficial uh, for the long-term growth of the assets in addition to the life insurance benefits that it provides and that's where private placement life insurance came from so families with you know at least 10 million of liquid assets are now able to access 
you know, this type of a benefit where you, know, you have to work with a third party advisor uh, to, to manage the investments. But if you're already you know, doing that, what this structure allows is for you to have your advisor manage the money the same way they would otherwise effectively um, uh, and avoid all of the tax on the growth income of that portfolio. Another big advantage of it, and again, we have a lot of clients in California and other high tax states, is there's a lot of investment structures that we would never even really consider for a, a resident of a high tax state just because of the tax nature of that investment itself. And, and so, you know, there's certain really advantageous vehicles that just may not be available or make sense, but inside of the structure, all of a sudden, because of the tax benefits of it, um, we're able to, to bring that back in and the same structure, because it is life insurance, you know, can provide some significant estate tax liquidity as well. If you set it up outside the estate, um, and, uh, you know, a lot of liquidity in general. So these wealthy families need that kind of liquidity. And so the life insurance component of it also is very valuable. Um, combined with this ability to structure a portfolio that can eliminate, you know, all of the taxes um, that can come. Again, you have to structure it well, you have to have the right team around you to put this together. This is not something that is off the shelf and, and it's easy to, to manage. You got to have the right team, but, but if you have the right team that can put this together for you, when I'm talking to families about all of the ways we might be able to save on taxes on the sale itself and some of the complexities that have to be involved in doing that, Sometimes it's like at the end of the day, it's like, hey, sometimes it's better just to pay the tax on the sale, get your assets free and clear, and then be able to utilize a structure like this where you never have to pay tax again for the rest of your life um, mm -hmm. on that component of it, right? The portion that goes into that. Sure. So so it's a strategy I think that we've seen that that's not rarely um, discussed with with families going through these liquidity events, but but one that we've had a lot of success with and that we definitely see clients very interested in and, and at least having the conversation around it. Um, around the sale of their business. Well, yeah, I mean, no, there's a lot of value there. Again, interesting conversation should your circumstances kind of align with with leveraging that solution. But Homer, uh, you know, as we're kind of bringing our conversation to a head, I, I think a, a common thread among this whole conversation of selling your business is that there are numerous considerations at play here, uh, you know, for you and your specific situation and ultimately conversations on how you want to mitigate that tax bite and how you want to really maximize the value of your life's work. Well, ultimately it comes down to proper planning and that yep. means planning that should, should, you know, planning process and conversations that should start early. So if you had any one big key takeaway for somebody from today's episode, what would it be? So I think in addition to starting early, which we already discussed um, previously, um, building the right team, to take you through this process matters a lot. You know, I mentioned earlier that if you add up the only 20, 25% of owners who start the process complete a sale and then only 12% of that 20 to 25% is highly satisfied with the outcome, in addition to just maybe being frustrated with, you know, the taxes associated with the deal or not getting the full value, is that the team that they put together did not bring the value that they were planning for. And you know, assembling the right deal team that includes the right attorney, the right investment banker or broker, the right wealth management team, the right tax team, all of these components are really critical that that team can work together collaboratively, co collaboratively and cohesively for you 
um, as the owner to make sure you get the outcome that you deserve from this process. And I've seen it both ways. I've been brought in, you know, just to support an owner in, in the process and seeing that the, the other components of the deal team were not necessarily looking out for the owner's best interest and they didn't get the outcome they were hoping for. While at the same time, I've been a part of deals where, you know, we were able to, to assemble the team along with the client well in advance, uh, make sure everybody's on the same page and got a fantastic outcome. Uh, for the client. Obviously, having the right deal team doesn't guarantee that kind of result, but I definitely believe that putting the right deal team together um, that can be that collaborative, cohesive unit is going to give you the best chance at getting that outcome that you want. Well said, Homer. Well, for anybody out there, Homer, that hears this conversation surrounding selling a business and should they find themselves in that position and could you know benefit from a second opinion or just opening up a conversation with you and your team, what would be the best way they could uh, they could start that dialogue? I would definitely encourage you to reach out, uh, visit our website, um, reach out and start a, have an introductory call with me. You know, th again, this is with what, what we specialize in. This is what we basically spend all day, every day doing is working with families and, and business owners thinking about or going through um, a transaction and then and how to then manage the other side of it. And so we've seen you know, pretty much about everything uh, that you can see when it, when it comes to these types of, of deals. And so would be happy to, again, at any point, you know, second opinion, a second pair of eyes on what you're thinking and, and happy to give you some thoughts on, on what we would suggest you do uh, from there. Fantastic. Well, uh, Homer, look, I appreciate you uh, carving some time out of your busy schedule to jump on board here and, and get into these these tax solutions. But uh, we'll let you get back to serving your clients and do what you do best. But thanks again. And uh, I'll see you on the next one. Thanks a lot, Ryan. Good conversation. Yeah, of course. Of course. And hey, folks, as we always do on this show, we want to take a final moment and thank you all for stopping by and spending some time with us. If you took something away from today's discussion on mitigating that tax bite when selling your business and you learned a thing or two, well, make sure you go ahead and subscribe to the show on whichever platform you checked us out on today so that you don't miss out on future conversations like these. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, Homer and I are breaking down some of the wealth management discussions and topics that he and his team of professionals, as well as he and his clients are having on a regular basis. And we're just bringing them right here to you guys to unpack the same conversation in front of you. So for Homer, I'm Ryan. We're going to go ahead and say so long today, but we appreciate you stopping by and being with us on Advance Your Wealth. All opinions expressed by Homer Smith are solely Smith's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Integrated Wealth Concepts, LLC, Integrated, or its parent company or affiliates and may have been previously disseminated by Smith on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Smith as a specific inducement to make particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. Smith's opinions are based on information he considers reliable, but neither integrated nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. Smith, integrated, its affiliates and or subsidiaries are not under any obligation to update or correct any information provided. Smith's statements and opinions are subject to change without notice. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Neither Smith nor integrated guarantees any specific outcome or profit. You should be aware of the real risk of loss in following any strategy or investment discussed by Smith or anyone else. Strategies or investments discussed may fluctuate in price or value. Investors may get back less than invested. Investments or strategies mentioned on this website or in the show may not be suitable for you. This material does not take into account your particular investment objectives, financial situation, or needs, and is not intended as recommendations appropriate for you. You must make an independent decision regarding investments or strategies mentioned by Smith. Before acting on information you hear, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and strongly consider seeking advice from your own financial or investment advisor. 
Investment advice offered through Integrated Financial Partners, a registered investment advisor. Integrated Financial Partners provides investment advisory services through several doing business as names. The information in this material is for general information only and is not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. Integrated Financial Partners does not provide legal, tax, mortgage advice, or services.